Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled A Life of Joy. To introduce the premise that I want to talk to you about today, I was recently reflecting on what I would call some more legalistic factions of Christianity. I was thinking about certain celebrity bloggers and figures and fad movements that have cropped up within Christianity in general over my lifetime. And as I thought about some of these factions and ideas that I won't make mention of other than generically referring to them, I was just struck with this idea. And listen to this carefully as I introduce this thought to you. As it relates to Christianity and what I teach and its effect on my home and its effect on my church, its effect on my life, if my home or my church is full of misery, then I am not doing Christianity the right way. I'm not doing Christianity right if my home and my church is miserable, if my family the people that God has given me the oversight over, if they are miserable with me, the spiritual head of the household, then my faith obviously is not being lived out in the correct way. And likewise, as a church, with what I teach from the pulpit to the saints of God that God has sent me to minister to, if they're bitter or hostile or angry or unhappy, if they're miserable, well, Obviously, what I'm doing is not biblical, it's not working, it's not right. Christianity is a religion of joy. Now, as a caveat, as I introduce that thought to you today, I'm not saying that Christianity is about an emotional high, nor am I saying that feel is to outweigh and take the preeminence over truth. Certainly, that couldn't be farther from the truth Christianity is a religion of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, but joy is a foundational emotion and a highlight of the Christian experience, and anyone who understands the gospel and truly believes what the message of the gospel is teaching, well, joy ought to simply emanate from their hearts. They ought to be people who are joyful, people who rejoice, people who, if you know them, they would come across as happy people, not in a sinful way, not in the wicked pleasures of this world, but in a holy way. God's people who know the truth are to be people who walk and live very joyful lives. I think one of the places that I have seen this depicted the most outside of a public worship service is at a funeral. Traditionally, funerals are viewed as places of sorrow and sadness, and that's fitting. Mourning someone that we have lost is a fitting thing. The children of Israel mourned Moses for a full 40 days. When Lazarus died, people were there mourning, and even Jesus wept as Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus. Mourning is something that is fitting, and we do, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Scripture tells us to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Mourning is something that we experience, and we shouldn't be shamed for that. But it's so interesting to me that if you go to a funeral of a saint of God, and the people that are there paying their respects at that funeral 
are all church-going people, and there's this great hope in Christ that we have through hearing the truth of God's Word as the gospel is preached. There's just joy on everyone's face as people who maybe haven't seen each other in a great period of time see one another, and they're reunited at that funeral, that memorial service. Well, they strike hands and hug, and it's not uncommon to hear the voice of laughter and faces of gratitude and thanksgiving. Why is that? Well, because the gospel has transformed somebody's life. Their mind knows the truth of the finished work of salvation wrought by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not this overwhelming sense of doom and gloom, destruction and discouragement at a funeral when people know the gospel. Christianity is a religion of joy and not bitterness, so much so that even at a funeral, you and I can be happy people because we know that that beloved saint of God has passed on to be with him in glory and to be with Christ in glory, well, it's far better than our lives here in the world. There's a lyric in one of the hymns that we sing at Flint River occasionally, and it's, prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. In other words, living in a prison could be a palace if I'm there with Jesus. That hymn's titled, How Tedious and Tasteless, and the first verse of that begins with how tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. That hymn expresses the joyful heart of the Christian, that because I know that my salvation is complete through Christ, and he wrought this for me, there's nothing I could do to earn this or to bring it to pass, but Jesus has begun my salvation, he will finish my salvation, and from beginning to end, it's all of him from before the foundation of the world to after the resurrection and glorification. There is a great joy that swells in the heart of a person who knows and believes such a thing. So if my home is full of bitterness and misery and unhappiness, and my church is full of bitterness and misery and unhappiness— then frankly, I'm not doing Christianity the way that Christianity ought to be done. Now, there are several different angles we want to consider this and discuss this on the broadcast today. First of all, I just want you to notice how often these words, joy, joyful, rejoicing, etc., are used in the Bible, the translation of the Bible that I use, which is the King James translation. In the KJV, the word joy occurs 155 times. Has anyone ever caricatured Christianity as a bitter, stoic, unhappy religion. They've depicted Christians as emotionless, perhaps angry and judgy people. I've known some Christians who fit that description, unfortunately, but think about that. 155 times the word joy occurs in Scripture. Now, certainly some of these words might not be used in a biblical, good, sort of godly joy in their usage in Scripture. There's one passage I can think of when people rejoice that Paul was persecuted. Certainly that's not what we're talking about today, but overwhelmingly, the majority of these words that I share with you are used in a context of one having joy because of God and His working in their life. So again, 155 times the word joy occurs in Scripture. The word joyful occurs 25 times in Scripture. Do you notice the 
work that we use, the song that we use to begin the broadcast here each week on Words of Grace. And we have used this since we launched this program. After about our third month of broadcasting, we began using this particular hymn in 2008. And it's been our opening theme ever since, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. What a fitting tribute that hymn is to the life that we live in the gospel, that we are joyful and we adore the Lord Jesus Christ. That word joyful occurs 25 times in Scripture. The word rejoice occurs 183 times in Scripture. 183 times people would rejoice. The word rejoicing, putting that word into another form, rejoicing, making it a present tense thing, is used 28 times in our KJVs. The word rejoiced, the past tense, that someone has rejoiced, occurs 45 times. And there's an interesting word, adding ing, the suffix ing, to the word joy itself. Joying actually occurs once in the KJV. Now, all of that is telling. Again, joy, 155 times. Joyful, 25 times. Rejoice, 183 times. Rejoicing, 28 times. Rejoiced, 45 times. Joying, once. That's very telling. The Christian... The believer in the God of the Bible, the believer in the Son of God, the believer in salvation through Christ, is to be a joyful person. And so if I look like I've been baptized in vinegar or lemon juice or maybe embalming fluid, you know, a baptism in formaldehyde, then there's obviously something that I don't understand about Christianity that I need to know. The Christian is to be a joyful person person. We ought to be the happiest people who have ever lived on the face of the earth. Recently in the pulpit on Sunday mornings at Flint River, we had a special focus about the life of Christ before and after his crucifixion and resurrection. To Thomas, he says, you've believed because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe that have not seen. You're supposed to be a blessed person if you believe in the Lord, even though you weren't an eyewitness to his crucifixion. When Jesus spoke to his disciples right before he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. He talked about the fact that many kings and prophets have desired to see the things that they were seeing and have not seen them, but they had seen these things. They saw the Christ as he was incarnate. How blessed are they if they've seen? But remember what he told Thomas? You're even more blessed if you believe in Jesus, though you haven't seen him. I'm telling you, Christian, you are to be a happy person. And if we're not, then repentance is needed. Maybe not from some sort of sin like fornication or drunkenness or stealing or lying, but certainly from a sinful attitude that seeks to rob us of our joy in Christ. If we are always unhappy, then something is not right. We ought to have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look just momentarily at the Beatitudes and emphasize the word here that translates blessed or blessed from the Beatitudes. But before I do that, I want to detour just briefly to the washing of the saints' feet in the Gospel of John. As Jesus talks about washing feet, as he washes his disciples' feet and commands them to do likewise, he says, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Happiness and joy are synonymous concepts as it relates to the experience of our heart. I think you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a distinction, draw a distinction between being a biblically happy person and a biblically joyful person. I think these concepts are 
really describing the same sort of mental state, the same sort of state of being. Well, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Here's what I want you to understand from the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, the same word that translates happy in John 13 with reference to you're happy if you know these things, if you do these things, is translated blessed in the Beatitudes. So the sort of blessedness that the Beatitudes describe actually involve a great degree of happiness in our own personal lives. And so when Jesus begins teaching in Matthew 5, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are blessed with the kingdom of heaven, but this word blessed also can be translated happy. And so part of the blessing there is joy and happiness in our lives. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you mourn over your sins and your sinful condition and the terrible things that happen in this world, well, you ought to be happy. You're blessed. You will be comforted, and that comfort is something that should cause you joy. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, the blessedness here involves the happiness that we ought to have. We are to be joyful people. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled If you hunger and thirst for Christ, and you worship Him, and you hear the Word, and you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and you pray, and you feast on Christ through the gospel message, then you are blessed, and a part of this blessing is a heart and mind full of joy. You're blessed, not in some sort of generic, mystical sense, but with a very real change in your disposition, in your mood, your mental state in the world— Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. All of these blessings given to people who have been changed by the grace of God, which is why they are the way that they are, contrary to the way that the unregenerate, the reprobate of this world is, and these people are promised blessings. And a great part of this blessing is the happiness, the joy that we experience in Christ. I want you to realize how these are related concepts in Scripture, the blessing we have in these things and the happiness that we feel through this blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, hold on to this next statement, because we'll come back to this concept in a minute. Blessed are ye... When men shall revile you, and shall persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. According to this passage, specifically verses 11 and 12, we are to rejoice even in moments of being reviled or persecuted or lied about for Jesus' sake. Because our reward that was purchased by Christ for us is in heaven. And so even in affliction, we're to rejoice. You know, so many times in this modern world, we think that the joy that we have is situational based upon what we're experiencing in this moment. And because of that, anytime we face the slightest inconvenience, we begin to squeal and complain really like what we might be tempted to call bratty children. I recently watched where in our local area, the power company was asking people to turn their thermostats up a couple of degrees so the power grid wasn't overloaded in this 
heat wave that we have, temperatures around 100 degrees. In Huntsville, Alabama, we've gone from being the third most populated city in Alabama to being the first most populated city in the state of Alabama over the last decade. And going from third to first in such a short amount of time, all the new subdivisions that are being built up in what used to be rural, abandoned county pasture area over the past 10 to 15 years, well, it puts a strain on the infrastructure. Infrastructure always comes after the demand. They don't run a bunch of electrical towers to the middle of a cow pasture because there's no need. But once the subdivisions are there, the power company builds up and they expand and they adapt. And we're going through those growing pains in our area. But because of that, they asked everyone, hey, when it's 100 degrees, could you cut your thermostats up a little bit and use a fan? You'll feel just as cool, but it'll help if we all do that so that we all can maintain power. You would have thought that the power company was trying to quadruple everyone's rates the way everyone complained. They screamed, they yelled, they cried, they hurled insults, they insulted other people, and then they turned around and mocked people who said, oh yeah, great, good idea, I'm going to do that. I'll save a little money on my bill, and maybe the power grid won't fail, and we'll get to keep electricity through the 100-degree day that could make it balmy inside of our homes. All of that over a couple of degrees on a thermostat. We really are like petulant children sometimes. And as I watched that, I was just thinking, next time I ever have a temptation to doubt total depravity, all I need to do is to go reread some of the comments under the TVA's article they shared on social media asking people to do that. That's one of many examples that really depict how, in our mind, we think joy is situational. But joy is to be something that is not based on the situation that we find ourselves in here, but the reality of what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and what we will experience for eternity with him, enjoying his presence forever as we worship him. Now, transitioning into a few brief points before we come to the close of today's broadcast, I want you to understand that rejoicing in Christ, having a joy in Christ, is actually something that is born of the Holy Spirit within us. In the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. What is one of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And these stand in stark contrast to the lusts of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. A lot of those things we see people engage in all the time on social media and in our streets, in the homes, and that is the flesh. If you're in constant wrath and strife with other people, that's the flesh. That's not coming from the Spirit of God within you. That is coming straight from the flesh. But conversely, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. If you have joy in Christ, if you rejoice in Christ, it's because the Spirit of God has quickened you when you were dead in trespasses and in sins. We love this verse, Galatians 5.22, because you notice here the last word in this verse is the word faith. Faith is also a fruit of the Spirit. Faith is of the operation of God in Colossians. It's a gift of God in Ephesians 2. It's authored and finished in us by Christ in Hebrews 12. It's the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews 11. Faith in you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is of God in you, 
But I want you to understand that so is joy of God in you. So is love. John says in 1 John 4 that everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. If you genuinely have agape love in your heart towards other people, it's because God is there. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And so these are traits, character traits, personality traits of a regenerated person. Once the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, these are a part of your overall personality. Now, we're very quick on Words of Grace to condemn and criticize, critique this idea called lordship salvation, that if you're really a saved person, you have no choice but to grow in your holiness in a practical, personal sense, in your sanctification, and if you fall into a sin, it proves you never really were saved to begin with. We condemn that because the Bible condemns that. The Bible teaches against that. Look, David fell into sin. Samson fell into sin. Solomon fell into sin. Corinth was a church of sanctified people who would be confirmed to the end. And yet Paul said to them, but ye are carnal to the Laodiceans. He calls them lukewarm and threatens to spew them out of his mouth, but then turns around and says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous therefore and repent. God's people can fall into foolishness and folly, and we don't automatically grow in holiness, contrary to the opinions of some celebrity preachers among the more reformed personalities of our day and age. But I want you to understand this. The opposite is also not true. The new birth makes a real difference in the life of a person who is born again. It is unthinkable and completely out of the question to assert that a person can be born again and no difference at all be made in their life. The fruit of the Spirit. These are character traits, personality traits that people have after being born again. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Now, Paul's point here is walk in one so you don't walk in the other. And these are a constant warfare within you. But to say that you don't have these as a part of your personality is absolutely unbiblical. We never want to avoid the ditch on the right side of the road by swerving all the way into the ditch on the left side of the road. God's people have these personality attributes that we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit, the effects of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. These are a part of of their personality once they're born of the Spirit. Again, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Joy is a part, a byproduct, of being born of the Spirit. In the Philippian letter, Paul often included the theme of joy and rejoicing. And it's so interesting because this was a church that had a little bit of a debate in it, a little bit of controversy, and Paul exhorts them to resolve their conflict that they had, to let this mind be in them, which is also in Christ. But here in Philippians, though it's a short epistle, there's a lot written there about joy. In chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul rejoices that Christ had been preached. In chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, Paul speaks about rejoicing in the day of Christ, that he's not run in vain or labored in vain. In verse 17, he rejoices with them all. In verse 18, they rejoice also with him. In chapter 3, in verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. What do we need to hear? Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul says, for me to write the same things to you is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Paul's going to tell him again and again to rejoice in the Lord. It's a good thing, and we need that reminder because we don't live in a joyful age. We live in an age of controversy and anger and much strife and ill will towards our fellow citizens, our fellow men. 
He says in verse 3, We are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Amen. We rejoice in Christ. We have no confidence in the flesh. In chapter 4 and verse 4 of Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. What is Paul's theme to the Philippians? What does he want them to do? What is one reason he's writing this epistle? He wants these people to rejoice. Now, joy is something that is of the Holy Spirit in us. Rejoicing and being joyful is something that we're commanded to do. Now I want to emphasize the point from Peter's writings in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we're to rejoice regardless of our circumstance because of the reality of what we have in Christ. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. There are some people that when calamity comes their way, they're like, why is this happening? Well, we live in a sin-cursed earth, for starters. But secondly, if you're a disciple of Christ, you're going to experience kickback. You're going to have trials in this life. There are going to be bad things that happen that you didn't bring on yourself, you didn't ask for, but you're the target of the enemy. And when those things happen, Peter says, but rejoice when you what? When you're persecuted at a fiery trial. Don't think it a strange thing, but rather rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. In a sense, you're suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't aid in redemption. Your suffering is not redemptive as his suffering is, but this is possessive, Christ's suffering. You're suffering for the cause of Christ. You're suffering in the name of Christ. You're suffering with Christ, in a sense, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, what does he say? Happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And then he would go on to say, let none of you suffer as a thief. Don't suffer as one who does wrong. Don't steal something from the store and then look around thinking you're receiving persecution because you go to jail. No, you're suffering the rightful penalty for your crime. But if you suffer because you love Jesus, then you are to rejoice, you are to be happy, and you are to have joy. If you read those two verses, 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14, you found the word rejoice, the word joy, and the word happy all there in those passages. They're, again, synonyms. They're describing the same sort of emotion. When we are persecuted, we are to rejoice and to be joyful. Now, you might say, well, that's easy to say. It's even harder to do. But I want you to notice this language from the book of Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. After the apostles had been threatened and beaten for their faith in Christ, they departed from the Sanhedrin, the apostles, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame from his name. And daily in the temple and in every house cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. These apostles, they were beaten, they were arrested, they were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were lied about, they were persecuted. But in persecution, they actually went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer shame for his name. Now, if I rejoice when I suffer, if I rejoice in a negative circumstance— if I'm commanded to rejoice even when things aren't going my way, 
What more does it say then about my life when I'm sitting at home and it's 100 degrees outside and I'm cool in my home, I'm hanging out with my wife, I'm with my children, maybe I'm at a band rehearsal with the people that I play instruments with. What does that tell me about the everyday life that I'm to live? It's to be one of joy. If I'm to be a rejoicing person in the middle of persecution, well, in the rest of the mundane everyday life, I ought to be the happiest person that anybody else could ever be around. Again, we're not to look like we've been baptized in vinegar or lemon juice or embalming fluid. Saints of God, we ought to rejoice. We have every cause in the world to be happy people. I'll close today simply with a reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, very short verse of only two words. Paul writes, Rejoice evermore. Again, I've been Winslet thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.